This is Life with Catherine, episode 38. I was feeling epic. In this episode, I'm going to delve into playing with words, language, and how I feel I'm a translator of sorts. I talk about my imagination and, of course, the science I've learned this week. This is Life with Catherine, sharing stories from my heart with a smile, and I'll even sing once in a while. Together, we'll learn more about the people who inspire me. Come along, Pond. I was feeling epic. This is the title of the Vampire Diaries TV show series finale, which was super cute. (laughs) And that phrase really encapsulated my mood this week. They had another episode title recently, and it was called We Have History Together, which made me laugh because they had actual history class together, and they dated, so they have history together. This got me thinking about language and wordplay. Growing up, my best friend and I would say ridiculous things like, The farmer is outstanding in his field, which of course can be taken both literally and figuratively. He's excellent at his job, and he's actually standing in his field. It still makes us laugh to this day. We just, (laughs) we really enjoyed wordplay and language. I am currently reading Romeo and Juliet, which I need the Coles Notes book to translate it. Uh, What's struck me is how, when I look at it, there are just, they're just individual words on a page. Then I use the Coles notes to translate, and it comes to life. My friend and I laugh about how I can be so neurotic sometimes. Obviously, we're meaning the slang use of the term, in that I'm always in my head analyzing, overanalyzing, relating it to other things in some imagination land, instead of letting things just happen and take part. I did Google the actual definition of neurotic and neuroses, and it was terrifying, so we're obviously meaning the lighter version. (laughs) I was thinking... It's so easy to say that another person defines us or let other people define us. But in fact, we define ourselves for ourselves and to ourselves. It can be intimidating to write an episode of this show. In, in history, so many others have formed words before, and sentences and phrases and paragraphs. How can anything I say be original? This idea can melt my brain sometimes. I want to create stories and art, not just noise, but I also want to respect the influences of what I talk about, the influences of the language and the quotes and the stories. It's a delicate dance. The language we use says so much about us. It can showcase where we grew up, where we live now, 
our level of intellect, our ability to convey our thoughts to another person, our emotional intellect, you intellectualism, <laughs> whatever the word is, our emotional intellect, our levels of respect, our knowledge base, which is separate from intellect. And in my case, it also encapsulates the silliness that can come from wordplay. But there is so much involved in the language we use. I'm not fluent in any other languages, so I, I don't know how complicated and nuanced other languages can be. Or are. But I know words are powerful, filled with emotions, knowledge, and facts. And it's all based on how it's communicated. For me, I like succinct but colorful language. I don't like to talk over other people's intellectual levels. Not that I always can. I will quite often relate directly to who they are or who I believe they are. But that's not always a level of disrespect. Sometimes a person's intellect can raise the other person's. It can challenge the other person to raise their own. Okay, let's take my episode with Jamie Black, for example. She gave me her poetry. I had never, or to read, she didn't give it to me. I had never heard her read it. So it was up to me where the inflection should go and find the passion behind the words. Also, what I'm reading goes through my filter. But what I'm saying is also running through the filter of the listener. So as the orator, I am the translator from the poet to the listener. Let's also take my new hires as an example. I'm the new hire ambassador for my office, so it's my job to help them go from their paperwork and videos into their actual job. When people start, they have an on-paper resume. But as they are getting settled, I introduce them to people and help them convey who they are as a person, not just their on-paper resume. Some people have that skill and some people don't. And I'm the translator for them. And vice versa, I translate back to them the influx, the influx of information barraging them. Another person may look at my role and say, oh, she just welcomes people and gives them their password. Which could also be true based on the context and translation. I have a big imagination. And I daydream all the time. If I've watched a movie, I will imagine myself in that world and create my own adventures. Yes, I need at least an hour after a movie is over to process and let my imagination do its thing. I'm not joking, that's what I need. When Special K was on my podcast last week, he was talking about his dad's library. When I listened back to it, I actually had to hit pause because as he was talking, I could picture him as a kid 
or a teenager, pushing through big wooden doors to towers and towers of books. Some dust, the lighting in the room, the excitement of kids looking to just dive into the books. Then my mind took a side trip to the Doctor Who episode, Silence in the Library, and then I had to get back on track. <laughs> I pictured myself asking his dad where each book came from and him kind of laughing lightly and just kind of humoring me at all my questions. My point is, I have a big imagination, and when people are talking to me, I'm really listening and I'm trying to build the story and the picture of what they're talking about so that I can really be there with them. Obviously, I'm not there with them, so I don't have all the pieces, so my imagination fills them in. The stars. Stars are extraordinary. Do you ever just look up at night? That's where the inspiration for all these shows and movies and documentaries and everything about space comes from. Stars are scientific marvels, but with the naked eye, they can just be seen as twinkling lights. They're astounding to me. Looking up at the sky, especially on a summer evening, I could spend hours. I don't understand all of the constellations or anything. I never could quite wrap my head around it. But as a starting point for uh, someone with a big imagination, it's pretty cool. This takes us into science. I was watching a documentary called Hubble's Canvas on Netflix, all about the Hubble telescope. Did you know that the photos are actually taken mostly, if not all, in black and white? Then scientists assign colors based on scientific data to create a more rich picture of the science going on. They assign a different color to different data, or they assign a color to different data. And those colors can also combine into new colors based on the intricacies of the science. Here's a quote from the documentary. I did not write this. This, all the credit for it belongs to them. Each time Hubble looks at an object through a different filter, it produces a black and white image that corresponds to a particular wavelength of light. The black and white images can then be assigned colors like red, green, and blue to reflect the scientific detail. I guess I never really thought about those images from space it's actually a translation of gases, energies, and data, and science that the scientists are receiving. It's not a true picture of the colors of space. Mind blown. Critical thinking. I've been watching lectures on YouTube. Harvard and Yale and UC Berkeley, all of these places, all of these learning uh, institutions have some of their lectures on YouTube. Now, Harvard, I find a little more difficult to uh, watch and listen to 
because they seem to assign reading and then we'll, their lecture will also be based on the reading. So they'll reflect back to a certain diagram or page that I don't have access to. However, the spirit of the knowledge they're talking about is still incredibly relevant and it's just a different platform. Whereas I find Yale, UC Berkeley, all of these other places, they tend to be standalone stories and lectures. They'll talk about the guest lecturer or it'll be one of the teachers or professors. And just like life, some of the teachers and lecturers are more relatable than others. I'm most hooked on the Yale lectures about humanity. Anthropology really is, is the broader term, but the series about humanity and people they talk about in one episode they or lecture they talk about critical thinking and how they'll ask a controversial question almost invoking an, an emotional response knowing they're going to get an emotional response and he'll say, the first year students and second year will quite often jump at the answer and have an emotional response. They'll just, they're talking about controversial things. But the third and fourth year have understood the idea of really looking at what is being presented to you and finding the proper words, for, not proper, forming words to present an argument back rather than, no, I don't like it, or I just don't think it's right. Well, what about it is right? What about it is wrong? This teacher tries to get you thinking, lecturer, tries to get you thinking about society He takes the example of, he's talking about right and wrong based on what your society says. He takes the example of a brother and sister. Let's say a brother and sister had an affair. That's already a controversial topic with so many implications, so many emotions, so much disgust or anything behind it. So what if you took that? What if a brother and sister just once did that? He's trying to convey that your answer shouldn't be just, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. Why? Put together a constructed argument, a constructive discussion about a thoughtful answer, a well thought out answer before just jumping on and being offended. There are obvious ones like, what if they had a baby? And then he takes that out of the equation. Well, what if you take that out of the equation? What if they've taken all the precautions possible? And that is not the case. His point is, whether it's right or wrong, it just is. So this situation, based on the sliding scale 
of what your society believes is right and wrong. I'm pretty sure it's always been wrong in history. For example, this situation. Based on where you grew up, what voice you've had, what voice women and men have had, equal voice, non-equal voice, based on all of these things and so much more, a right or wrong value is placed on that. And his idea is to just, instead of emotionally just being offended, put together the history around the everything about what it is and then present your argument. Pause. Give it thought. A proper analysis rather than emotional reaction. Obviously nobody's going to put their hand up in favor of it. That's not his point. And so it's a a lecture, lectures about humanity and people and what they will and won't follow and the standards that society sets for us and that we set for ourselves. In a myopic point of view and in the broader scope of our societies. So there's many kinds of topics about that, and it's giving me a lot of thought-provoking moments. Somebody asked me recently what I thought about the UFC, and I said, well, I, I don't have any facts, I don't have any parameters to make a, dis a discernible answer to that. And they said, well, it's violence against other people, so you must not like it. And I paused and I went, I don't have any facts. I don't know what kind of medical they have. I don't know what kind of psychological support they have. I don't know what training goes into it. I don't know what compensation they get on the lower levels, higher levels. I don't know what kind of manipulation is going on in the system behind. I don't know about the underground scene that could sprout up if there was none. I don't know about any black market that goes around it as well in, in its current state. I don't know how it affects politics and navigating that. I There are so many facts that I don't have any information to be able to put my stamp of agreed or not agreed on. I believe what they were really asking me was do you agree with one person fighting another? And that is not the same question they were asking. They were asking me what I thought about the UFC. So this person really paused when I said, I don't have enough information about it to make a, a proper opinion. Form an opinion and give that to you. And he paused and looked at me and thought, and said to himself, Wow. That's a really great answer. Because it's true, I don't have any facts. All I have is an emotional response to one person hitting another. And that is not the same question. 
You're asking me about a business I know nothing about, a business model. I don't know who the competitors are. I don't know where the sliding scale the sliding scale of their values is. How do they treat people when they're hurt? How hurt do they have to be to pull them? There's so much more to that answer than just, I like or do not like the UFC. A thought out opinion is an incredibly valuable piece and voice in this day and age. Not that I have all of those answers, but I do know to pause and construct what I really want to say rather than just a knee-jerk reaction response. I've also been learning about Freud, watching lectures, not many, just a few. Did you know he was a dad? I didn't know that. So my friend told me a little bit more about the story behind him. This lecture was not about him as a person per se, it was more about the science of the psychoanalysis. His daughter also became a psychoanalyst and continued on his work. But right away, I was um, had an influx of people telling me, debunking all of his theories. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me understand what his theories are. Step two is to debunk them. In order to debunk something, you have to understand what you're talking about in the first place. Although I completely value what they're telling me, which is important, and I do fast forward to a lot of things too. Look how random I am at looking at all these different sciences. But it was like, I'm only at level one, and I'm learning, and I'm trying to piece together and translate what they're telling me. And when I get to level two, you're the first person I'm going to call. I want to hear about debunking it. And I've heard there is a lot to debunk. But you do kind of have to start at square one and understand where all these things were that were... You have to have building blocks in order to understand how to debunk something. That's just my two cents worth anyways. Music, our final segment. I was thinking about what song to talk about today. I'm going to recommend Signs by Five Man Electrical Band. I won't go into heavy detail about the context. And it was written by a group of writers. You can go look it up. But it was performed by Five Man Electrical Band. And it talks a lot about noise. And noise to them is signs. And it goes like this. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Talks about signs and as rules, as limits to society. It talks about excluding people. It talks about including certain ones. And how signs can be so noisy, they're everywhere. Even ID, even membership cards, they use that as a reference. You gotta have a membership card to get inside. It talks about the implications of society that 
Even ideas a sign. It's a sign of you getting in or not getting in. It's a sign of you belonging to a group or not belonging to a group. It talks about the lines of society and where we drop them and say, you are no longer a person. You are no longer valuable to society. So I recommend you listen to it and draw your own conclusions. But it does feel like that in society today, in my opinion, that there are signs everywhere. When I say signs, I mean literal signs and noise and everywhere. So, just some food for thought. I highly recommend that song. It's stayed with me since I heard it as a teenager, and I'm sure it's even older than that. So that's it. That's everything I have this week. Thank you so much to my friends for like making me laugh so hard this week. And I'd like to end with a promise that I will try, always try to make this be art. And without being neurotic, that it'll always be about me and, and the truth behind things rather than noise. I obviously can share, cannot share stories that don't belong to me. That's for, for example, they belong to people in my family. I'm still part of that story, but those stories don't belong to me. So I'm going to go on an epic adventure to share stories that truly inspire me and make me feel amazing and introduce you to some really cool people who've had an effect on my life. Obviously, I'm not really interested in interviewing people who are negative, <laughs> who have had a negative effect on my life, but there is growth to be had from that. You can hear my cats jumping up and down, chasing each other. So, my promise to you is that I will be epic. I sit away as an angel contemplate my fate Do they know the places where we go when we're gray and old Cause I have been told that salvation lets their wings unfold So when I'm lying in my bed Thoughts running through my head And I feel that love is dead I'm loving angels instead And through it Oh, she offers me protection Forsake me. I 